You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde of Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. Ed Ludlow, he's off. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll have the latest on Microsoft and Activision as UK regulators reject those claims they're bowing to pressure to clear the deal. More ahead. Plus, we'll talk AI regulation at Big Tech commits to safeguards for the technology that's at the White House's request. We'll bring you the details. And bankrupt crypto exchange FTX sues Sam Bankman-Fried and executives over $1 billion in bad deals, including a plan to buy an island nation. We'll have more on the new lawsuit and so much more throughout the hour. Meanwhile, let's go across the pond. In the UK, Britain's top antitrust enforcer is pushing back against those claims that have been out there that it was kind of forced by outside pressure to reconsider its veto of the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal. Here's the CMA CEO, Sarah Cardle. At the moment, our decision on prohibition stands. We investigated very thoroughly the deal. We found that there were serious concerns in relation to cloud gaming, and the proposals that were put forward by Microsoft at the time did not resolve our competition concerns. So Microsoft have indicated that they are considering how they might restructure the deal in a way that resolves our concerns. Well, the regulator had found itself increasingly isolated, pretty much the lone watchdog standing in the way of the deal. Now, after a week of drama, the acquisition has some pretty fresh momentum. In the US, for example, the FTC has just paused its in-house trial against Microsoft, leaving room for potential settlement talks. Let's break it all down. Bloomberg's Catherine Gamal is with us. And what else did the Competition and Market Authority have to say, the CEO, about this deal and how it's progressing in the UK? Thanks so much for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so in this morning we had Sarah Cardell in the London studio to talk us through where we're at with the Microsoft Activision probe. And you know, one thing that she made really clear is that the UK CMA has still vetoed this deal and that veto will still stand until Microsoft offers up officially fresh restructuring um, 
ideas. Um, so that's a big one that um, we need to keep in mind that those are still to be officially submitted. Another thing that um, was an interesting point that she made is that, you know, after if they consider Microsoft's new proposals, if they still don't think that those actually address the competition issues at the heart, then this deal could be vetoed again and we might go back to the phase that we were at before, where we were at the Competition Appeal Tribunal and we're getting a full appeal. Um, I think also the most important thing that you touched on um, a moment ago was that um, Cardell really put to bed any claims that the UK CME had bowed to UK political pressure or that it had in some way um, its decision to reconsider this had in some way been impacted by the FTC's loss um, at court um, on the 11th. Yeah, trying to still stand by their independence. What then does a deal, what recommendations, what remedies are likely to actually cut the mustard when it comes to the CMA? Yeah, so Cardell touched on this early in her interview and I think the only sort of remedies that are going to cut the mustard at this point is divestitures. Um, Bloomberg News reported, according to sources, um, earlier that, um, that this could possibly be a divestiture of their UK cloud unit. Um, it's yet to be made public or clear what um, the actual remedies is that Microsoft is going to offer up the CMA. Um, so that still remains to be seen um, what exactly will cut the mustard. <laughs> I started that phrase and we're going to keep on running with it. I love a bit of British uh, phraseology in the morning. Catherine, it's great to catch up with you. You go have a great weekend. Catherine Gamel, she's been one busy woman throughout this week. Meanwhile, well, the whole market's been busy, hasn't it, in terms of fund flow data, for example, come from Bank of America, showing that despite the distancing themselves from broader equity markets, investors have continued to pile into tech stocks. Tech funds, for example, attracted $1.8 billion in the past week, pulling in money for the fourth consecutive week and outperforming the rest of the sectors. How long can this last? Mahoney Asset Management CEO Ken Mahoney, who is invested in Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, to name but a few, and pleased to say welcomes us. And Ken, it is interesting that Tech has just continued to fight off all that doom-mongering, the fear of the economy, and plough forward. Will that come to an end, perhaps, with the rebalancing in the Nasdaq 100, for example? Look, I don't think it's going to happen because of the rebalancing of the Nasdaq 100. I think it's got legs. I mean, AI, we keep talking about it. A lot of people feel like they missed it. I, got, I think we're in the second or third inning of this AI move. I mean, this is going to be a multi-year move here. And, you know, the picks and shovels of the last you know, decade you know, in 1999 was you know, Oracle and Cisco, picks and shovels of this gold rush, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and some of the names you mentioned before. So I think we're in early innings. Yes, it's going to be volatile. I don't think the Nasdaq 100 reshuffling is going to change anything because I think the fundamentals are very strong for this group. Will the fundamentals be shown in these earnings? Will we get a guide of how much AI is going to power revenue? I think so. Microsoft, by the way, uh, which come out next week, they're very good for beating estimates and raising guidance, and then the analysts have to scramble to catch up with them and raise targets and so forth. So I suspect we're going to see that again for some time until it levels off. Um, and this AI is helping companies lower their costs and helping their top line. So it's a creative. So it's not just a line item on an expense sheet. It's actually something that can actually help these companies. Ken, a bit tactical perhaps, but how do you play the run-up and the aftermath of an earnings? Do you try and trade ahead of it in any way? Do you just wait until the print comes and, well, move within that volatility? Do you trade or do you just push through? I think you kind of push through. Again, it's so difficult sometimes. Uh, look, it's like Russian roulette. We never know which ones are going to sell off, which ones are going to go. Yeah, last week, um, a couple of days ago, hmm. Tesla... Netflix, we saw kind of sell the news. Again, a little soft guidance. 
So we don't know exactly how they're going to go, but I like to see past this quarter, and that's the problem with investors. They kind of get in, they trade wrong, they get out. And again, if these are multi-year, I hope to think multi-year growth uh, because of what's happening, AI and some other. Think about Microsoft, by the way. All the different verticals you get when you own Microsoft, from gaming to network security to Windows to you know cloud to now AI integrating all that. So this, to me, is not just a, a good quarter to jump in and jump out. I think there's, there's a lot more uh, tailwind here. But valuations, Ken, 36 times future earnings currently for Microsoft. It was 80 or something for Tesla. No wonder we see a bit of softness. Do you think these valuations can be vindicated in the short term, in the near term? Well, that, that's what we were going through, this digestion process, uh, because these multiples are really kind of wacko. We get it. But the other side is, too, you see some valuations with the PE6 and PE7. You look back a year later and you still find some of those same companies still trading with multiples that are stuck at six or seven. So mm -hmm. what we've seen with top line growth, with the analysts trying to play catch up, we've seen some of these multiples expand and justifiably so because there's only a handful of companies that can really grow the way they're growing and that's why they're getting those multiples. Oh, I'm interested in that. Only a handful. Are there only a handful? Are we not looking hard enough? The sort of Kathy Wood perspective that NVIDIA is just so obvious, try and go for some slightly different AI plays. I know, so I, I kind of think about the picks and shovel, or kind of the, the gatekeepers of this, and that would be Microsoft and NVIDIA and so, some of those names. Look, there are going to be some secondary names. It's going to be like the dot-com of, of the 1990s where you have to go from 3 to 20, but they're one-trick ponies. What I like about this is that these companies have a lot of verticals. Again, you think about NVIDIA with autonomous driving, NVIDIA with uh, gaming and everything that they're doing, and accretive to earnings is now this AI play. So I'd rather play this way with the kind of proven winners that already have a lot of verticals, have a lot of businesses, have a lot of opportunities within those businesses. Oh, and then let's add AI on top of that. And then, then you get this kind of great growth rate. Ken Mahoney, great to have some time with you. Thank you. Mahoney Asset Management CEO. It's going to be a busy week ahead, so have a fun weekend ahead of it. Meanwhile, look, coming up, we're going to be talking more about investing in artificial intelligence, but at the earlier stage, in the private stage, one VC betting $600 million with a new fund backing startups focused solely on artificial intelligence. We'll talk with venture capitalists behind the investment next. Meanwhile, look, we're just talking about earnings. Let's talk about one company that has been under strain from a share price perspective today following its earnings, American Express. Amex. Actually lower after investors were concerned by some slower payment volume growth. But I had some time with the CEO, Steve Squarey, a little bit earlier on the phone. He's less concerned. He was trying to reiterate, look, look at our record revenue, look at our record earnings per share, look at our record billings. And he's also showing really about some of the risks surrounding this economy. He feels actually those recession risks are fading, that hard landing fading as we go forward. So really we see a company that he says is standing by its growth plans, firing on all cylinders, and it was just some tough comparisons if you're looking from the previous year and the extraordinary numbers that we had in 2022 post-COVID. Interesting take on AI though. He's trying to push back on some of the dangers of generative AI, particularly when you're looking at credit scoring, worries about bias in the system. He says, look, our models, like everyone else in the industry, heavily regulated, heavily reviewed, our algorithms are reviewed. This doesn't come cheap, and the Fed and the oversight bodies do have them in their sights. So he's not too fearful of that bias. From New York, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. 
That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Wing Venture Capital is betting big on artificial intelligence. Now, the firm closing a $600 million fund that's fourth to back startups focused on just, really, AI. Let's get right to it with Wing founding partner, Gaurav Garg. Gaurav, I mean, is there anything out there that isn't in some way AI-powered now? Well, um, our view is that um, in today's day and age, as we move from digital transformation to AI transformation, if you're investing in business technology, it's not worth doing unless it's uh, AI-focused. And uh, an example might be, do you think people are even going to buy a tractor that is not AI-powered and can, cannot drive itself? So we feel that way about the entire landscape. Okay, so do you put money to work on AI-powered tractor companies, or is it really more about the foundational <laughs> models, about the underpinnings, about these companies that are going to be almost plugged into other corporates out there? Well, first, um, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> uh, about half of our uh, investments are in business applications, and the other half are in software infrastructure that powers AI data security, developer-led tools, things like that. Mm. So it's mostly software. And where are those entrepreneurs? Where are those companies being built? There's been this narrative that Silicon Valley is back where it's at when it comes to AI. Is that true? Or is this more democratized across the US and internationally? Yeah, it is um, fairly significantly in, in California. But we have companies all over the country. And we also have some in Europe and Israel. We've just been looking at some of your current portfolio already, Bedrock Systems, Certic, Unicorn, and, and you've had successful e exits in the past, I think, of FireEye, I mean, long ago, Jasper acquired by mm -hmm. Cisco, Mobile mm -hmm. Iron. These, a lot of these not only were acquisitions or IPOs. How does that market for exits even look now at the moment for you? Well, the IPO window is kind of locked up right now. And uh, in fact, I'd ask you when you think it's going to open. You talk <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> um, but in the long term, 
Uh, we few feel that capital markets go up and down, but the role of technology in the economy keeps growing. Mm. And particularly this time around, we feel that uh, anything that can tolerate 95% accuracy will be impacted or significantly by AI. So um, we just feel the opportunity is so enormous and will pervade all of GDP. And the LPs so, saw that opportunity too. How, how quickly were you able to raise the 600 million? Yeah, it went pretty quickly. It was a slightly more difficult environment than last time, but in some ways our last fund was raised right at the start of COVID. So this one felt a little easier and it took about the same amount of time, you know, a few months. And you really are focused on the very early stage. How broad are these companies already? When you're starting to look at them, are you looking at entrepreneurs with an idea? Are you having to see revenue already being generated? How are you deciding which companies to back in what is a very noisy field? Half the companies are seed stage, the other half are series A's. Uh, we write checks in the seed up to three or four million, and in the series A's up to 20 million as our first check. So it's a pretty wide remit. I would say that we are quite distinct in that 95% of our companies have less than a million dollars in revenue when we invest. Mm. So we, we invest at inception, pre-product, and in very early revenue as well. And uh, we're willing to take on that uncertainty because it results in the best long-term returns. Well, come back when you start to write those checks and we start to hear about well, maybe even an IPO window opening for your larger, more, well, older, mature companies. Wing founding partner, Gaurav Garg, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Time now for Talking Tech. First up, TikTok Shop. It's teaming up with the fintech platform Atome to expand its online retail platform in Malaysia. And the platform will integrate Atome's Buy Now, Pay Later service at checkout, rivaling the likes of C and Alibaba's BMPL options. Parent company ByteDance says it's looking to invest billions of dollars in Southeast Asia markets in the coming years. Meanwhile, OpenAI seems to support certain requirements adhering to government regulation. This is according to an internal policy memo drafted following a meeting with White House officials and other tech executives back in May. Now, the document laid out a series of policy commitments and a government licensing system. Executives from leading AI firms like well, OpenAI, Meta, Alphabet will join President Biden today to discuss transparency and security of AI. We'll have that. Plus, FTX is banking on a new lawsuit against its notorious founder and former topic so in order to recover cash for its creditors. Now, the suit that Sam Bankman-Fried co-founder Gary Wang and others is alleged for making fraudulent transfers that benefited them personally but did nothing for FTX more broadly. And the complaint is filed Thursday and it seeks to undo more than a billion dollars from those transactions. And, well, those details just keep on coming. And what's so interesting is some of the intricacies within this recent lawsuit and the co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried and, and former top executives. Let's get straight to it with Hannah Miller to really discuss, well some of the more questionable behavior and the thing that caught my eye and will catch everyone's eye is a private island really what was that for Yes, so the complaint alleges that there was this memo exchanged between an executive at the FTX Foundation, which was the charity arm of FTX, and Gabriel Bankman-Fried, Sam Bankman-Fried's brother. 
and it basically laid out this plan that, you know, hey, maybe we should buy the country of Nauru uh, and build a bunker there that could be used to protect effective altruists in the event of an apocalyptic, you know, crisis that would take over the world. And we know that Sam Bankman-Fried publicly said that he embraced effective altruism, so it makes sense that that's who they'd want to protect. I wonder who would have been in that crew, uh, if any. Some of the other allegations are, well, just about the sheer amount of money that was already realized to have been lost prior to the ultimate demise, particularly by, well, heads of Alameda and like, can you just detail some of the other more shocking revelations and just the knowledge of how badly this was doing? So the complaint alleges that in March 2022, Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research, estimated that there was a $10 billion deficit. Around the same time, she gave herself a $22 million bonus. That's what the complaint alleges. So it's very interesting to see that contrast there. Um, but it highlights how the executives really, you know, were very generous to themselves, that they took, you know, huge bonuses, equity, um, even, you know, common shares. I mean, some of the details, what was it? A potentially alleged fraudulent transfers of $477 million worth of FTX common shares to the former director of engineering, payments made by Sam Bankman-Fried, allegedly granted to himself rights for more than $6 million in equity. I mean, all of this starts to add up. Can you just remind us of the timeline of all of this as to when these sorts of accusations are going to be laid, whether we can really understand whether there's truth to them or not, and ultimately whether the creditors are going to see much? So the allegations spread out over a period of several years leading up to the collapse of FTX. You know, they, there's stuff happening in 2021, 2022, according to the complaint. But that is prior to the collapse of FTX, um, which was in November 2022. Prior to that, the company had given this perception that it was extremely strong and engaged in a series of bailouts helping out struggling crypto companies during the summer of 2022. I... I'm just kind of also interested, I suppose, in Robin Hood within all of this. Can you just remind us as to how much money ended up being purchased of a public company? We're all so aware of that purchase and it felt that at one point FTX wanted to actually buy out Robin Hood. They used money from Alameda though. Yes, the complaint alleges that Sam Bankman-Fried and Gary Wang, his co-founder, actually took over $500 million from Alameda and used that to buy Robinhood shares. So they just took the, that, that money. Uh, they didn't really have to give anything in return, according to the complaints allegations. Um, so it's pretty crazy to see that they were really, you know, taking huge steps in, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at Robinhood. I feel I've become numb to pretty crazy allegations, and you keep them coming. Thank you so much, Hannah Miller, on all things FTX. Remember, you've got to go and listen to the podcast that they have about Sam Bankman-Fried as well. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Now, let's talk a little bit what's happening over in Washington, because leading US AI companies publicly committed to safeguards for the booming technology at the White House's request today. President Biden, joined by executives from Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, OpenAI, and others for a key event, we understand. Now, one advisor to the administration has been Navrina Singh, 
Credo AI CEO. Credo is a responsible AI governance platform that you empower organizations basically to deliver to embed AI responsibly by trying to measure, monitor, and manage some of the AI risks. And what do you make of these safeguards that are really being driven by the administration right now? Well, Carolyn, so good to see you again, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, just a reminder, Credo AI, uh, we are on this mission to ensure that AI is always in service of humanity. And we do so by providing an AI governance software that provides that continuous oversight and accountability of artificial intelligence by managing, mitigating, and monitoring AI-introduced risks. So today's announcement, we are very encouraged to see the Biden-Harris administration, you know, continuing to depict their commitment to responsible innovation, as well as to AI governance. I think a lot will uh, be seen in the coming months, because right now these are still voluntary commitments. Mm. And what is going to be important is the executive order that is going to be coupled uh, with these commitments, that's where the eyes are on right now. Nick Clegg over at Meta saying these voluntary commitments are important first step. Let's just talk about some of the commitments there because big names, also private names like Anthropic and Inflection AI are in on this and they're saying they're going to share information, most importantly, trying to mitigate some of the risks for governments and civil society. But what do you make of the, the sort of watermarking, virtual watermarking of being under basically when you're looking at AI. Yeah, Carolyn, I think watermarking is a really important aspect of really figuring out, you know, the provenance of these systems. But before we go there, I want to step back and just focus on what these voluntary commitments are. As you indicated, that these voluntary commitments are being, you know, committed to by seven leading generative AI and foundation model providers, and they are focused on security safety and trust. And as you can imagine, these are not comprehensive, but a great first step to ensure that you know the US citizens and the federal government deserve the transparency from these large language model providers. So coming back to watermarking, I think one of the core things is really understanding the entire provenance of how these systems are built, where the data is coming from, and watermarking is a mechanism to really distinguish what is human-generated versus what is AI-generated. Mm. So though an important commitment, um, there needs to be more work done in that space. We understand actually the system still needs to be developed. Also. I mean, we understand that you're required to report some of the risks, but they're not actually required to eliminate the risks. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. Um, you know, as we look at some of the core things missing in today's White House announcement, uh, one is, as you mentioned, not only reporting, but uh, how are you going to hold these companies accountable to what they're reporting against? There is no indication in today's announcement around those commitments, those benchmarks, and I think those are really critical things that we should be you know, watching out for. The second thing is these are completely voluntary. So I think going back to we've seen in the history that voluntary commitments don't really have the impact that we are you know, looking to see from these important but limited set of model uh, providers. 
So the next steps, as I mentioned, is the executive order. And more importantly, what would that executive order mandate? Because I think what the the, these large, powerful AI systems need right now is tech-informed regulations and mandates to make sure that there is delivery against what is expected of them. Okay, so an executive order coming from the administration again, because Congress is, well, unsurprisingly, perhaps a little bit slow to truly try and get through any changes in law and overseeing AI there. But what about how it compares to what Europe's up to? I think right now one of the great things that I've seen with today's announcement is that there has been discussions with the allies. Uh, you know, notably we've seen engagement with France, Germany, India, UK, and others. But I think what's going to be really important in the coming weeks and months is how there is a global AI governance framework aligned to you know what we care about in the United States, but also the great work that European Commission has done with respect to the risk-based EU AI Act, which is, uh, you know, in works right now and most likely going to be passed into this year. From your perspective, what is self-regulation like vis-a-vis perhaps an overseer? Is there some sort of way in which we can fundamentally oversee these companies? Is there some sort of new part of a regulator that needs to oversee it? Yeah, Carolyn. So, you know, I do want to note that I advise President Biden and I sit on the National AI Advisory Council, but today I'm speaking on personal capacity and as a CEO of Credo AI. So when we look at these self-regulations, though an important step to really showing commitment that, you know, these powerful AI technologies need to be transparent and in service of U.S. citizens and federal government, you know, we need to make sure that as we progress, there is a bigger focus on what does that continuous oversight look like. And right now, there's two pathways. In the short term, we should be looking at our current agencies and building capacity to ensure that they provide that oversight of these powerful systems. But we are also, you know, looking ahead in long term and do believe that there's room for a global regulatory body Hmm. that is really tasked with keeping pace with this very fast changing, very, you know, massive scale uh, technology and providing oversight to it. And can that break through the geopolitical tension between U.S. and China? Uh, you know, we, we hope so, but I think right now what is really important is making sure the United States and its allies come together on this global regulatory framework and start putting the foundation for what this regulation, uh, regulatory body uh, globally could look like. Navrina, great to get your expertise when you are indeed helping advise the administration but here as a capacity as Credo AI CEO. Navrina Singh, we thank you. Meanwhile, sticking with Biden, the president seeing a major setback to one of his key legislative achievements after TSMC has been forced to delay production and its project in Arizona, key battleground state in next year's election. The company won't start production of chips at the Arizona plant until after the U.S. presidential elections in 2025 citing look, a lack of skilled labor as well as costs in America as reasons for the postponement. Let's talk about VC money a little bit more now next because coming up, Sapphire Ventures is joining us. Of course, it's going all in on AI with $1 billion commitment, but we'll discuss the firm's president and co-founder, Jai Das, a little bit more next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? 
What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Global software VC firm Sapphire Ventures has just announced, well, a commitment of some undeployed capital specifically towards AI investing, particularly technology startups that are specializing perhaps even in generative AI. The firm will focus on all areas of emerging AI tech stack, though we understand foundational models, enablers, middleware, next-gen AI applications. Let's dig into all of it. Sapphire Ventures president and co-founder Jay Das joins us more for today's VC Spotlight. And Jay, you are the second VC on today talking about a commitment in AI. The previous was a new round of funding. Yours is money you would raise but really want to signal basically to entrepreneurs that this is your sweet spot, that you want to remain and show commitment to AI. You already have loads though, right? What, how much have you already got deployed across AIs? First of all, Caroline, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, we have about 10 billion under management, but of that, about two and a half billion has been invested already in 60 AI companies. Wow. Uh, this new commitment in AI companies is really a signal to entrepreneurs that you know not only are we open for business, for investing in AI-oriented companies, but more importantly, we are creating a whole suite of services that will help these uh, entrepreneurs build and you know the next generation of ai companies oh that almost takes me back to the heady days of what 21 where all vcs are out there trying to say why choose me is it that fierce the competition for the latest and greatest ai entrepreneurs no that's not the case um you know i think it's a little bit of a signal within our firm to help mm. kind of uh solidify the goals of what all the investors should be looking for but it's also a set of services that we are building up around AI where we kind of go in and help our portfolio companies and the companies that we invest in, in how they're going to use AI and how they're actually going to take it to market. 
and figure out how they can use AI to solve certain solutions and certain problems that's out there. You tend to invest in companies that already have some sort of product market fit. What pain points are you really focused on that you want the AI to solve? Well, first and foremost, you know, I think this new generation of AI, the generative AI, will really, really help increase the way that people actually change the way people interact. The, the user interface is going to change completely, right? We typically interact with each other through voice and text and in the natural way, but when we interact with an application, we are always using a keyboard and a mouse, right? And that will completely change with generative AI that's coming out. But I think fundamentally, you know, this technology that has come out recently with large language models is going to change the way we actually do and solve all our tasks, right? The way we develop um, software, the way we, you know, go in and, and create and do certain tasks will all be changed because of this new technology. What are valuations like for some of the companies that you're currently looking at? Yes, the valuations are back to the heady days, right? <laughs> uh, where if you have generative AI companies, uh, you know, you can raise at practically any valuation you want. But we actually believe in the fundamentals still. So we have been pretty um, looking at companies that have efficient business models, but are using AI to kind of change the way they are going to market, the way they are changing the, the problem that they are solving. I feel like I'm asking this day in, day out, but I'm not yet sure, I don't know if you are, as to how the overall open source versus closed foundational models ends up being used. How do you see that evolving? What are the key areas that you feel startups should be building in? Yeah, look, I, I think the, the fundamental thing that has changed with this new generation of technology is the data mode, as we talk about, right? The mon models that are out there, you know, whether they're open source or closed source, is as good as they can be. Actually, the applications that are being built on the models are far behind than the models themselves. So we fundamentally think it doesn't matter if it's an open source or a closed source model, it's how you use the data to train those models and provide the intelligence and solve the problem that you need to solve, right? And I think the, the startups that will be successful are the ones who are able to use this data that they're able to collect and preserve and solve the problem. It's not going to be about the foundational models, right? Though I think those things have been done and there might be some closed source models that might become popular, but overall, I think open source models are going to win out, and it's all about the data and how you use the data to train those models. So data is the value proposition here, Jay, but exactly. th that's sort of changing as well. I mean, individuals suddenly become aware of how much their own data is valuable. We have certain institutions trying to stop the amount of scraping that's going on. How are you seeing startups navigate this and ensure that they do build these moats and they have access to the right data to create real value? Exactly. Well, these are all opportunities for startups, right, where large enterprises do not want their data to go out to the open source community and other people can use their, use their data to train their models. So this is an opportunity. And also, we are looking for startups who are able to get to the data and use that data in, you know, in some way that they solve the problem. So I think, you know, there's going to be, you're going to see number of use cases where large enterprises will build applications because they have the data within, within in, you know, in their in-house their in uh, programs or software. 
And then there'll be startups that enable these enterprises to build applications using the data that they have and provide you know, some kind of solution for their customers. And then, of course, there's going to be companies that enable you to protect your data, right? Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't get corrupt or used by somebody else to train their models and make a profit out of it. Why do you think these B2B companies are being grown right now? And how diverse are those founders? You know, uh, the founders that we are finding, again, are coming from areas where they actually know the domain, right? In B2B software, having the domain is very, very critical. So if you're coming from legal tech or if you're coming uh, from healthcare, you know the domain and you know the problem, and then you're going out and using this new technology to actually solve this problem better and, and easier, right? So we are still looking for entrepreneurs who have domain expertise because just because you are you know, in depth in AI or generative AI doesn't mean that you understand how you can solve the problem for a, for a lawyer or for a healthcare specialist. Jadas, thank you for joining us. Safar Ventures, president, co-founder on the reallocation of funds really specifically towards artificial intelligence. It's been going viral. New Jersey suing the federal government, this in the hopes to block New York's congestion pricing proposal, which would charge drivers entering midtown Manhattan as much as $23. Bloomberg's Michelle Kasky joins us now for more, and they call it a brazen money grab. Is it, Michelle? Uh, from New Jersey's perspective, it is. Um, they're saying, look, our residents, New Jersey commuters heading into Manhattan, already pay uh, tolls on crossings such as the Hudson Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel, George Washington Bridge. And what they're saying is, if you put this additional potential $23 charge on top of that, that's going to be, um, it's going to be tough for New Jersey families. They're also, though, trying to fight this from an environmental impact perspective. Can you explain that? They're saying that, particularly to the north of Manhattan in the George Washington Bridge, that you're going to have a build-up. That's, that's the risk here. That's, that, is, um, that is what could happen, is you could have more traffic in certain areas of New Jersey, maybe even the uh, South Bronx, uh, increased pollution in those areas, while at the same time, congestion pricing, the goal of congestion pricing is to ease traffic in Midtown Manhattan and produce and reduce pollution in Midtown Manhattan. How much of a risk is this? I mean, this has been done in other cities. I think of London's had a congestion charge for years now. But obviously, it doesn't have different states. They perhaps just have different counties to be, to be navigating with. But ultimately, there's always some nimbyism to all of these things. Do you think that they can be navigated? I, there is a chance. I mean, maybe that is part of Governor Phil Murphy's, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's plan is to go forward with this suit against the United States uh, Department of Transportation in the hopes that uh, New York will compromise in some way, maybe give some sort of an exemption to New Jersey commuters. Uh, that's very possible. But the problem with trying to figure out a a uh, tolling structure is that the more exemptions you give, hmm. that means the higher the actual toll needs to be because other motorists will be making up for those exemptions. Yeah, the point is to either have 
more EVs, so it's less damaging to the environment if you don't count the battery in element, or indeed more people on public transport, so you cut down on those fumes. We'll see how the battle commences. Michelle Kasky, thank you. Some great analysis there. Meanwhile, look, that is it for this day, this week of Bloomberg Technology. Do not forget to check out our podcast, though. You can find it on the terminal if you've got one. Also go online on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeart. From New York and, well, from New Jersey just then as well. This is Bloomberg Technology. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.